Greetings, PVIC, and welcome to the Post-Church Podcast, a time when we reflect on this past week's sermon and answer some practical questions. My name is Pastor Sean. Uh, Today we're without our brother Neil, uh, but we have Pastor Billy here, so let's get started. Pastor Billy, why don't you start by giving us a summary of the sermon we just heard? Thanks, Sean. So uh, we are now in Matthew chapter 8. 18 to 27 and we've now seen and transitioned out of the Sermon on the Mount into chapter 8 and what we've been calling the the Sermon on the Move Jesus sort of taking the the principles and the ideas of the character of the kingdom that he presented in the Sermon on the Mount and takes it on the the road if you will so um, we see in the passage that we looked at that the Sermon on the Move is attracting uh, attention and crowds are beginning to follow Jesus. And we see in the passage that Jesus is looking more for followers than he is uh, looking for fans. And we are given a sort of a glimpse into how not to follow Jesus. Um, If we are convinced we must follow Jesus, uh, we must do it without pride, humbly coming to him and serving him as Lord. We must do it without compromise, meaning that he's first, and everyone and everything else is a far second, and without fear that we should be uh, courageously uh, trusting in him. That's great. And I like this, this uh, phrase that you've used, sermon on the move. It's, it's very descriptive. That being said, for our first question today, we were talking about how Jesus is now drawing great attention. Um, his following, as it were, is, is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it led me to think about church today. Now, we're coming up on one year of being a church plant. Um, As far as growth, we haven't exploded or anything. We don't have thousands of people. Is the idea of quick growth a dangerous concept when we're talking about the church? Yeah, in short, I think it is, right? So to bring it back to uh, Jesus and kind of the example that we're jumping off of of Jesus and in his ministry. What we see is Jesus had a core group of disciples, right? If you will, the twelve. Even within that, he has a core within the core, right? Which we know of, right? But they have this core twelve, and you ha- we know that he had other disciples that that followed him, a wider number. Then you had the crowd that came along with him. And out on the fringes, um, I think we have people who are, uh, for lack of a better word, sort of along for the ride, right? They kind of see what Jesus is doing. They see what Jesus could do for them. There's maybe some novelty to it, right? All kinds of other Reasons why they are there beyond truly 
having to do with who Jesus is and what is what he is about and the kingdom that he is about. So if you bring that back to a church plan or our church plan and thinking about church growth, um, it's the difference between growing growing wide and growing deep, right? That's good. And um, when you think about, as we talked about the sermon, fans versus followers, right, where we're really talking about disciples. And it's, a, it's, a, it's just an utterly different thing, right, that God seeks that to make us like Christ, right? That's really the, the, the essence of discipleship, right? I think we can get it mixed up and confused, but really God's will, his intent is for us to be like Christ, and that's the point of discipleship. So as opposed to having a massive number of people that are there for sort of ancillary reasons, right? Just uh, surface reasons. Um, having people who are seeking to be disciples, to be like Christ, um, where we're talking about the depth of our faith um, as opposed to just, uh, you know, sort of raw numbers. Right. And I think that also ties into a concept that you've talked about before in previous sermons where you've mentioned the visible versus the invisible church, that people could actually sit in the seats or pews, but not actually be a part of the invisible church. Yeah, and I think that idea and thinking about that is is valuable for people in leadership, right, for pastors. I think it's valuable for people for people who are part of congregations to, to think of that sort of way, right? It's, it, I think it's a good way to think about it because for for pastors, the thinking is okay. I know I, I don't I don't want my church to be a place where people are just there to be there, mm-hmm. right? We're not just trying to put people in the seats. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea that there there could be someone who is there that's just um, along for the ride, right? It's it's kind of this. It, would put in, into yourself um, an idea of well then everything that we do um, should be so that that would not be the case right right that someone would essentially maybe be even be uncomfortable if that was their their situation to maybe draw them out to a place where there is discipleship and then for those who are in the church thinking about that idea of the visible and invisible um, I think it's just a great opportunity for us to self-examine mm-hmm. and to know that is it even possible? Is it possible for me to be here and not actually? It's kind of jarring. Yeah, it's jarring, but it's yeah. it's, it's 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 good. It's good yeah. for us to, as people who are part of the congregation, to think in that sort of way because it pull it can pull us from the the edge, if we you will, back into um, you know living a life of discipleship as opposed to, as opposed to just kind of attaching yourself to to Christianity. That's great. And I I also think it's very helpful that in our church, specifically with our core team and those those members that we've started with, that we made it a point to go over our statement of faith and a membership covenant and all the things that our church actually believes in and stands on. I think having that in place for a church is really important when we're talking about that visible and invisible church concept. Yeah, I mean... um, 
you know, it's, it's really boils down to what is the expectation of, of, of being a member, right? Being a part of the church and what is the expectation for the church to that person? Mm-hmm. And then grounding all of that, what do we hold together in faith and what we believe? Right. And then when you have that set of expectations from the congregation to the church and from the church to the congregation all grounded in what we believe mm-hmm. right you've got the the recipe for what is you know a robust um, you know church life really that's great moving on to our next question um, you were describing the scribe in in this passage and you mentioned the phrase self-love um, in regards to that scribe now, that phrase self-love or self-care is a phrase that we hear quite a bit in our culture, especially, I'd say, probably within the last two to three years. What do you make of that phrase? And would you say that it's dangerous for us as Christians, as believers, to adopt it? Yeah, I think it's really it really comes down to defining terms right what are, what yeah. are we what are we talking about here so um, I think what we're seeing is you're seeing a proliferation of these ideas of self-care and you know um, prioritizing one's own um, you hear it a lot in, in, in the realm of mental health, right? I think yeah. uh, predominantly, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel as though, and you know, I could be off base, but just kind of reading the culture, it seems as though it's kind of a response to, and especially coming out of the pandemic, right? I think, I think part mm-hmm. of it is kind of maybe a response to, um, folks who did not feel cared for right right Mm -hmm. so the response was something like well you know you know i haven't been cared for properly nobody else is going to do it Mm -hmm. so i need to do it yeah and you've got this whole like a movement that's talking about all right you know just you know love yourself right take care of yourself and that kind of thing and it's interesting because it, it's it's not like it's wrong, right? Because you think when you think about the priorities of how you order your life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you do not prioritize your own well-being, right, you are not really able to adequately love someone else, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about the direction of Scripture, right? We're to love our neighbor as ourself, right? Right, so if we don't, if we're you know, if we're not able to rightly deal with ourselves, right, mm-hmm. we're we're going to be left incapacitated to love someone else. So, I think we are supposed to prioritize ourselves. But the problem is, when you take it out of the context of Scripture, right, and you take it and you move it out into the realm of the culture, it loses its ground. Mm-hmm. Right, we lose our identity as someone who is an image bearer of God. So if you are an image bearer of God and you are prioritizing, you know, your own um, 
your faith right or your, and how you how you prioritize it it's it's important because no one can have faith for you mm-hmm. so you need to prioritize your own thinking and how you um you know how you view things and how you're taking care of your body and all of that take that same concept and pull it out of a concept that you are image bearer of god and take it outside of that and then you lose that whole aspect of the fact that you are connected to something else that's bigger than you you are the end unto unto yourself right Mm -hmm. that's and that's where it kind of goes goes off uh off the rails right is when you take it out of the context of being an image bearer of god and that's that's kind of what we see happening so so it's two things one if you can take those ideas bring them back under the um the thinking that we are image bearers of God, right? I think there can be some value there. Mm-hmm. And two, I think yeah, we have to acknowledge the the really the reality that you know maybe at times the, the church has been derelict in her responsibilities to care for mm-hmm. folks, and maybe just see that some of this response is part of it is that maybe not all of it, but. Part right. of it is, is, is That's very interesting. Yeah. I, I think that a lot of it also, just like you mentioned, is a, is a definition of terms. That's that's really important. But like almost anything, I feel like the world takes things and uh, takes it to an improper extreme or corrupts things. Yeah, twists it. Yeah. So um, there's that love your neighbor as yourself, as you just mentioned. Um, it seems more like just love yourself and then the whole neighbor piece is completely yeah. right. completely gone where um, obligation and duty to your brother and sister is completely obfuscated, right? Yeah. So I think putting it in the correct context as image bearers of God, like you said, is really important. Yeah, because when you divorce it from the... Um, when you divorce the vertical... Mm-hmm. nature of identity which yeah. is really what's happening right it's like you know for so much time our identity was built in the fact that there was a god right and mm-hmm. there we were made in his image right that's a that vertical mm-hmm. nature our horizontal relationships only made sense and flowed out of that vertical right thinking when you eliminate that vertical mm-hmm. sense of self, right? By identity, in the context of being, then you, there's there's where you have the breakdown, right? Like mm-hmm. you cannot rightly your horizontal relationships are are going to, you know, suffer in that sort of context, and that's what we see happening in the wider culture, really. I agree, I agree. So as we wrap up today, um, why don't you give us a couple of questions that we can think about uh, going into this next week? The first one to consider is, and this is a situation that could pop up, which it really is, how would you counsel someone who wanted to follow Jesus as long as they could maintain their current lifestyle? What would you say to them? What would you point them to? That's one. Uh, Secondly, um, something to think about is how you might explain how Matthew 8, specifically the approach of the scribe and and that second man, um, and how that speaks against the prosperity gospel, Mm -hmm. right? And the prosperity gospel meaning that idea that, um, 
you know, um, health and wealth are lock, stock, and barrel, you know, guarantees of, um, of, of faith, right, without any proper theology of suffering or anything of the notion. So how does Matthew, uh, maybe think about how you might explain how Matthew 8 and the approach of the scribe and the approach of the man might speak against the prosperity gospel. And um, thirdly, is sort of just kind of another introspective opportunity is to find areas of excessive fear in your life, right? To sit down and think and to uh, confess these things and ask for um, courageous faith to uh, combat this. Wonderful. Thank you for these questions that we are, I pray, going to use um, in our homes, think about, ponder, um, wrestle with at times. Uh, Thank you for the sermon and answering all these questions. Um, So going into next week, let us spend time with our families, uh, talk about these things, pray together, and ultimately strive to live all of life to the glory of God. Thank you.